the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com. Or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Hi, everybody. Good to be with you today. On the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557, we talk about the issues of the day from a Christian perspective, taking a look at them from maybe a different angle than some of the stuff that you hear all day. You can join the conversation by calling 888-528-2557, and you can also watch us live at kkla.com on the live stream, so you can check that out if you'd like to. All right, one of the big stories in the news is the uh, the disappearance and reemergence of Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, who uh, we know now what happened. We disappeared. He went in for a elective surgery on New Year's Day, I guess, and uh, didn't tell the boss, didn't tell anybody. And uh, somehow he that went OK. Then he went home. It was we know now it was prostate cancer. He's got prostate cancer. And we wish him the best with that. My dad had prostate cancer and uh, he did pretty well, but he had surgery and uh, to remove his prostate. And I was at the hospital. I remember standing at the edge, the end of the bed, and I'm looking at my dad coming out of the surgery and uh, he was looking, you know, I don't know what the right word is, but uh, not one, not in a condition you want to see your dad in. And he looked up at me and he must have noticed that I was looking at him this way, maybe with some pity or something. And he says to me, he goes, you realize you're looking at yourself in 20 years. <laughs> That's pretty funny, dad. Always, and in fact, he's probably right about that. Uh, you know, so here's my question. And as we kind of get into this, here's the deeper question. And there's a lot of different uh, angles for a lot of this. What does it mean to take responsibility? Like when you say, I take responsibility for my actions, um, which is what Secretary Austin ultimately said. So he disappeared. He goes, he has a surgery, comes home. What happened is, is there were some complications that happened with that. And that was released today. And uh, like I said, we feel bad for him. We want him to fully recover. It's a terrible thing. Nobody should go through that. Um, But. President Biden, this is the Secretary of Defense, okay? So this is a a time of war. He's sixth, for those of you who are counting, in the line to the presidency. Uh, He is a super important guy. And if we have a issue that comes up, which we're having on a regular basis, if somebody bombs one of our ships right now in the Red Sea, if we have uh, our troops get killed in one of those bases that we've got out in the desert that uh, the Iranian drones are passing over, if something were to happen elsewhere in the world where we needed to take military action or defensive action, one of your phone calls is the Secretary of Defense. That's how that should work. And so you need to know where that person is. Well, obviously, that person isn't always available. So you also need to know where the deputy secretary of defense is, who turns out that she was in uh, Puerto Rico on vacation. And then you need somebody should know how to reach you. Right. Somebody should know how to get this done, how to connect. And all of that somehow was missed. 
And fortunately, nothing terrible happened over this period of time. But it raises a whole lot of questions. A lot of them are legitimate. A lot of them are political opportunities to attack. But it does raise a lot of questions. Why isn't the president and the the secretary of defense talking on a more regular basis? It was something like nine days or something like or five days before he even heard about it. Nine days before anybody knew what was going on. Uh, a lot of problems there. So many people are saying, well, what does it mean to take responsibility? This was a conversation um on aircraft speaking to John Kirby about this. The department recognizes, the department recognizes this, I'm the sorry, understandable. That's the, that's, the, uh, that's the Pentagon. Where's the Kirby one? Here it is. Should the American people have confidence in Austin given his lack of transparency? And then also, do the American people need to be concerned about a lack of transparency for the president given this lapse? So I want to go back to Austin's statement um, a couple of days ago where he has... Um, taken responsibility uh, and so I think that's important so I would point you to that and I will just reiterate that the president uh, has complete confidence continues to have confidence in secretaries off uh, secretary Austin and, and all right and that's obviously uh, uh, KJP why am I losing people's names today it's this cold that I've still been dealing with like uh, you know uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, uh, not Kirby. They've been bouncing back and forth. There's a whole controversy between those two. We won't get into any of that, but uh, trying to figure out who gets the microphone. Uh, anyway, well, she, so the question is, shouldn't people be concerned about the lack of transparency and all of this going on? And she says, well, he did take responsibility. And it's led me to wonder, what does that mean? This is what the uh, Pentagon spokesperson said about that. The department recognizes the understandable concerns expressed by the public, Congress, and the news media in terms of notification timelines and DOD transparency. And I want to underscore again that Secretary Austin has taken responsibility for the issues with transparency, and the department is taking immediate steps to improve our notification procedures. All right, so the uh, secretary has taken responsibility. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? 888-528-2557. When somebody says, I take responsibility for that, or when you say in a situation, I take responsibility, what does that mean? Like from in a practical standpoint, because it can't just mean, oh, I take responsibility and the issue is over. Right. It can't you can't just say in your life somewhere, oh, I take responsibility. There might be times when you can, I suppose, but there's got to be some kind of consequence it's got to be something. And what they're doing is they are uh, the Pentagon went on to say, we're going to review our, you know, our procedures and we're going to do a 30 day review. And there's a whole lot of conversation about that. I think that is, um, you know, something that is you know necessary part of what you do. But is that it? I mean, that, that's I'm sure that's a pain. We have on our email system here a spam blocker that's fantastic. I know because people send all kinds of stuff, right? And we want to filter out the real stuff from all the advertisements. And we have the ability to want to protect from phishing. Your company probably has something like this, too, if you have a company with the right kind of server and all of this. And the funny thing is, is if we click on the wrong thing with that, then we get a notice that says, hey, you run the risk of being spammed. Have you ever had that happen? Have you been in the uh, the trouble with that in the... Uh, you know, Wilbert, have you uh, had to do that? Where then they send you to spam school? I went to spam school twice. Yes, yes. How about you, Jose? Have you been to spam school before? I knew it was spam, so I wanted to test the system. So I did it on purpose. So, <laughs> yeah, they didn't really get me. I knew did, it. it. Did you spam. take responsibility for your actions? Yeah, I had to go to spam school. Yeah, see, there's a consequence. I, I'm the same way. I've had to do it twice. I've been to spam school twice. It shouldn't count when you click on it on your phone. 
<laughs> and especially at 7 o'clock in the morning when the yeah, first exactly. thing I do. exactly. That's that, not my fault. That's how I got hit twice. Same. And it was like, you need to log into your account because uh, HR has a problem with your retirement or something. And you click on it and you go, oh, no, I just gave away my retirement to uh, to somebody else. And so twice I've had to go to spam school. See, there's a there's I have to take responsibility. I can't blame the cleverness of the trickery of this. It's meant to train employees uh, to to do that kind of thing. And uh, so now I just click on a spam for every email I get, all of them. doesn't matter. If you guys send me an email, if I don't respond right away, it's because I'm clicking the spam button. I'm waiting for the, uh, the notice there. Uh, see, uh, you, you take responsibility. At some point, you have to own it. But we live in a time, I think humans are always this way. We're all, well, we know from the first uh, part of Genesis, right? Just what do you do? You blame the snake. You blame the woman. You blame whoever you can, right? That's the, that is the initial sinful response that we have as human beings deep into who we who we are in our fallenness it's to blame others it's to not take responsibility well it's not my fault well she gave me the apple and god and you you made her look that way look at now i can't control myself anymore you know there's there's something there right to that so there is an important thing for human beings when we take responsibility because we're going against that sinful nature. We're going against that part of us that wants to not take any blame at all. Now, we usually want to take all the credit, right? So there's sometimes you can take responsibility in the positive sense and say, yes, I did that. You know, give me the awards and the accolades and whatever, you know. Um, But, uh, you know, that doesn't even feel real good if you do that. You've had one of those award shows, uh, the Golden Globe thingies. This is that season, right, where where people hand each other the golden trophies. And uh, imagine somebody gets up and they don't thank their agent and they don't thank the director and they don't thank their other cast members or the other people. And they just say, this was all me. I did this. I am the greatest. Uh, you know, it probably would not be well received. You know, something I've appreciated in a couple of the, I don't watch those shows. I haven't watched them at all, but I've seen, you know, clips of them and things that have gone on. Paul Giamatti won one. You know who that actor is? And uh, you know what he did after the Golden Globes? What? He didn't go to one of those fancy parties, as far as I know. You know where he went? In-N-Out? He went to In-N-Out, and he's sitting there in his tuxedo with his Golden Globe right there on the table. I thought that's pretty cool. And, the you know, the funny thing, too, is he's sitting there, and he's eating his double-double or whatever, and there's all kids. This is one in Westwood, right? So there's kids, UCLA, lots of people around him. I wonder if they even knew who he was. He's got the big statue there, but some people who are behind the scenes, you know, in the set design or stuff like that, you get the statues too. You know who else did that? One of the, in the Emmy Awards, somebody did that. You know who it is? Who? It is one, I'll give you a hint. One of the top selling recording artists in the last 50 years. Somebody who is now halfway to what is called the EGOT, for a guy who doesn't watch award shows, I apparently know a lot about this, but it's because I read it. EGOT is the Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar, and the Tony, the four big golden statues. Somebody, this guy has two of them. He's halfway there. Who is it? He went to in and out right after the Grammy Awards. So I don't know his name, but does he have long hair? He has very long hair. He does. See, that's the guy, but I don't know his name. His first name is Weird. Weird Al Yankovic, one of the uh. the uh, top performers. Uh, <laughs> No way, really? Yeah, he did. So there's a whole thing of him just sitting there and in and out. And he's got his Emmy Award sitting on the table, and he's eating his double-double and his fries. I like this trend, by the way. 
if you're a, a famous person and you know you win some golden statue, head over to the In and Out afterward. Don't go to the producer's ball or whatever it is that you might go to and just trash yourself. Go get yourself a nice double double. Order the whole meal. It comes with the fries and the drink. This is the Pastor Scott Show. By the way, eight 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 five two eight two five five seven eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. Before that little sidetrack, we were talking about. Um, taking responsibility. And what does it mean to take responsibility, right? So most of the time when we're talking about taking responsibility, it's because, not because you did something great, but because you you blew it. You know, you, you, you blew it, or it's somebody who is beneath you in the chain of command. They messed up. And it might be their fault, but as the leader, you take responsibility, which I think is super important for leaders, political leaders, for church leaders, for your boss, wherever you are. At some point, the buck has to stop here. You know, Harry Truman, he used to have that sign on his desk, the buck stops here. I have a, I have a mock-up of that at home. And that was the right attitude. The buck stops here, president's desk. Nowadays, uh, when's the last time that's really happened? It's been a while, hasn't it? I mean, just let's just be fair. That buck gets passed around. It hits the president's desk and it bounces right off, right back to Congress or right back to the other party or right back to whoever. And uh, that is going on all the time. Anyway, so in this case, we've got the Secretary of Defense who is taking responsibility, but people are wondering, is there any sort of consequence? What does that actually mean to take responsibility? And is there something that uh, you know, some people are calling for as firing? Some people are calling for other things. This is John Kirby. Had there been a need uh, by the commander in chief to, de- to task the Defense Department or to uh, seek greater, greater clarity from the Defense Department about a specific issue, the deputy secretary, Kathleen Hicks, who had that authority delegated to her, who had a full communication suite with her uh, while she was on leave and, and fully staffed, would have been more than capable uh, of being the acting Secretary of Defense. For so what he's trying to do is assure people that she's the Deputy Secretary of Defense, that she would have been okay. The problem is she didn't know that the Secretary of Defense was in the ICU and incapacitated, and she was actually in charge meaning she's no longer on vacation. She is the acting secretary of defense, and people have questions about this. John, given the delay in disclosing this, did Secretary Austin meet the president's own standard of transparency? And is the White House committed, if if President Biden had to have some kind of medical procedure, is the White House committed to releasing that information to the public in a very timely manner? Well, on the second question, and you're a little out of my lane, that's really, but I... I don't want to speak for Kareem, but I think the answer is yes. I mean, the answer is absolutely yes. We'll be as transparent as possible. That is part of the questioning that's going on. So I don't know. Maybe you have an opinion about that or not. But what I really want to know is what does it mean to take responsibility? What does it mean to own up to something that you did? 888-528-2557. When somebody around you messes up at work or school or in your family or some your church or someplace, what are you looking for them to do when they say taking responsibility? I think this is highly important. And like I said, it goes back to the original fall of humanity that our first thing that we want to do is blame other people. Um, I looked it up. I started to say, what does it mean? So I Googled that. What does it mean? And I got this answer. Taking responsibility for your actions involves owning up to the positive and negative consequences of your choices and behavior rather than attributing them to external factors or other people's actions. 
That's a pretty good definition if you were going to define that, that you own up to the the positive. Sometimes there's positives. You come through and you make a mistake and there's good things that happen out of it. Uh, But usually when you say I'm taking responsibility, there has to be some kind of negative consequences more than just going to school, spam school or 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 make sure you call in to tell the boss you're sick if you're the secretary of defense kind of thing. Um, Proverbs 28, 23, or 28, 13, Bible speaks about this a lot. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. If you want to memorize something about that, something to teach your kids, that's a good one. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You will find throughout history that when people actually take responsibility, people who are in leadership positions, now sometimes that means you resign. Uh, That might be what ultimately happens with the Secretary of Defense here. It's pretty hard to actually um, be the Secretary of Defense and not tell the president that you are uh, not capable of working or not telling your – now, see, he has an assistant who apparently is home with the flu, so he didn't get the memo either. So the person who is now in charge, since he's incapacitated, is in Puerto Rico on vacation, but apparently has a, a satellite phone or something, so she could be in charge. But she didn't know she was in charge. And then his assistant was—he uh, had called in sick and uh, was at home with the flu or the COVID or whatever he's got, and uh, or he's watching football. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, it was New Year's Day, right? It's New Year's uh, week. There's lots of stuff going on. Uh, and you know, it's funny because we didn't have a war breakout, but if a war breaks out, we have tremendous breakdown. There needs to be some kind of action. And, uh, in your life, when we, if you conceal your sin, the Bible tells you, you won't prosper. That doesn't mean that you go out telling everybody everything, but you say I was wrong and you don't say I was wrong with the word, but next to it, or if, uh, you didn't do it, but somebody who is uh, you know, you supervise, did it. You might have to fire that person. That might be the painful thing that you have to do, or you might have to uh, take the hit for that person, that employee, because maybe you didn't train well, right? Maybe there's something that is your fault, even though somebody else messed it up. There is something you have to do without using the word but, right? Without saying, uh, I take responsibility, but I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't uh, for this over there and this over there, and you blame everybody else. Uh, that can't be done. It's become a tradition, I think, in presidential politics now for a couple of decades to continuously blame the predecessor. And that has happened now for a long time. That didn't used to happen so much. It might have happened for like six months. But I think that the the American people sort of know that. And that's something else about passing the blame. If you ever do that in a leadership role of some kind, if you're kind of new to the job and it's not really your fault, I think people know that. I think your employees know that. I think your church knows that. I think that whoever you're leading, your company, they know that. And I think when we get a new president or a new governor or somebody and there's problems, we know that there was problems when you got here and we don't blame you. You don't need to blame the last guy. We know. However, after a year or two, and maybe it's just a few months, it gets really old. It's like, yeah, you know what, that did start with the last guy, but what have you done about it in two years? You know, what, has it gotten better or worse? What are you actually doing? So you eventually own everybody else's problems. That's a principle that, that matters. You will eventually own problems that existed in your job before you got there, even though you didn't do it. It's just there. That's a thing. And I think to be upfront about that, 
is a great way also to get along with people. It's a great way to be trusted. It's a great way for um, for people to to recognize that you recognize that there's work to be done and that you're not perfect. I think that's something that for all of us, but for those of us listening who are believers in this world, you, you make a lot of traction with people when you realize that uh, when you can take responsibility, when you can actually take some time to own up to the consequences of your choices or own up to the responsibilities of your job if you happen to be the boss and do that. So hopefully we're going to see more of that in the world today. Uh, this is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Do you write in cursive? Do you still do that? You know, California has become, do you do that? Do you write in cursive? Did you learn how to do that? I haven't in a while. You haven't, but do, were you taught in school? In third, second grade. Second grade. Okay. California is now one of the few states that actually is going to start requiring that again. It used to be required, I guess, for 20 years or something that wasn't required, and now nobody knows how to write. Uh, that has come back. We'll talk about that and some other things as far as taking responsibility and take your calls, 888-528-2557. When the Pastor Scott Show continues, stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com. Or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show. Yes, as we mentioned, that was uh, Weird Al Yankovic, one of the uh, most uh, most decorated and uh, best-selling recorded artists of the last uh, five decades. <laughs> Something like that. And that's true, by the way. Just uh, you can tell your kids. Uh, 888-528-2557. Speaking of your kids, there was a time, maybe you're listening, and you were not taught cursive writing. It has been either optional or banned in California, and in fact, many states now for the last couple of decades, but it's coming back. According to the LA Times, it's now required uh, in a list of priorities in California schools to teach cursive handwriting. And the the idea was, I guess, that because of technologies and because there's so much that is being done on a keyboard now, you aren't going to need it. That was the thought, which is such a odd thing to me, I guess, and I think about it, I don't write that much where I have to write in cursive. Um, I write my signature, which is totally illegible anyway. And did you have a real, I have a, like a version of it that's legible, but I have to really concentrate. My, my signature is very scribble-ish with like one cursive letter in there. Yeah, mine is like a big S and then a little line, you know, and it it says Scott Furrow, trust me, it's what it says. Yeah, exactly. Um, on official documents, I don't really do that. And... You know, whenever I sign for a credit card or something like that, I don't think it matters at all. So I, you know, I write, uh, you know, I go on there and I write Weird Al Yankovic, or I I'll write through a phase where I would just write uh, smiley faces when they'd ask you to sign. Yeah, you can do that. I usually write whoever the president is, so I'll write Joe Biden, see if they even notice, right? Or I'll write, uh, you know, uh, Steve Garvey. I used to write that one a lot when I was a lot younger. He, he's uh, back in the news. He could be our next senator, Senator Garvey. You know, how about that? we have him in studio? We need to get Steve Garvey on the you know, on the show one way or the other. Eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. What do you think about that? Do you think it's important to teach cursive writing, or is printing enough, or are we going to be so uh, text based, typed based? that it doesn't matter that much. That's kind of the argument that's out there. But something that I like about this, and I think it matters, I want my kids to know cursive. They don't like it. And they have had to learn 
it's harder, I think, for them to learn because they are already typing. You know, there are some schools where kids are on the iPad or they're on a uh, Chromebook or something early on in grade school, depending on your school district and different things. My kids had, I think, Chromebook. They ended up with it maybe in the fourth. Yeah, the fourth grade. They were on Chromebooks in the classroom. And uh, we had to go to Costco and buy a Chromebook, you know, for each one of them. Uh, That's what they did. And I think it affects things. Now, I have terrible handwriting anyway. Mine was never good. In fact, the one, the one time that my mother was brought in for parent-teacher counseling or whatever it is, a parent-teacher conference that isn't one of the automatically scheduled ones, was about my handwriting. And I think this was in the eighth grade, which is probably too late. And they just said, we can't read anything that he writes. <laughs> and uh, th- that's true. That's probably why my dad got me a typewriter for Christmas that year. Maybe my dad was like way on the... Uh, <clears throat> On the other end of it, I was the last group of people, my class, class of 89 in high school, to actually take typing classes on old-fashioned typewriters. We had the thing and the bell and the ding and all the stuff. And right after me, <clears throat> excuse me, they got rid of them. And everyone was on uh, electric typewriters. Now, some people were on electric typewriters, but if you never got to class on time, you had to get stuck with the the other one. You know, something I think that's interesting about it is there is so much pushback, I think, today about going back to something that is old. Jose is saying you were the, you were there when you got the first ever Chromebook. So you're like the first generation to actually – what grade were you in, Jose? I don't remember. I was in high school, though, but I remember – that was kind of like the beginning when uh, people started getting uh, Chromebooks at school. Yeah. So. Yeah, that is uh, going on. So one of the things that I am happy about with this, with the idea that California schools and other states, in fact, are going to go back to cursive instruction, teaching people how to write, is I do think it matters because you're going to find yourself in situations where you've got to write. And you don't want to sit there and wait for somebody to uh, you know, print out every letter and stuff like that. It takes a long time. And if your handwriting is good, some people have amazing hand. My wife has great handwriting. And uh, I'm like, how do you do that? I just don't understand. Um, you ever stand in the checkout line and like somebody's writing a check? You definitely want them to have cursive handwriting uh, if they're doing that. There are, I think, an opportunity is missed when we don't handwrite Christmas cards. We don't handwrite thank you notes. There is something personal, I think, about getting it in somebody's uh, handwriting. I gave you guys a Christmas card. Could you read what I wrote? Did you guys uh, maybe didn't even read my Christmas card? I sent you a card so, with like a box of nuts or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were all handwritten. Yeah. Did you Were you able to read it? I was. All right. Very good. I'm glad to hear that because uh, sometimes I send people a card or something and they don't, they can't read it. In fact, one of those people, people or persons was my wife. Christy and I were good friends for a long time before we started to date. We were dating other people. You know, we'd tell each other about the people we're dating and uh, good friends. And it was one of those things where it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm liking you. And uh, I decided I'm going to have to tell her. I'm going to have to risk the friendship and all of that romantic stuff, you know. And so I did. I took her out to this fancy restaurant. And uh, during the dinner, I handed her a card where I, I shared my feelings for her. And uh, she opened the card and she looks at it and she kind of goes through it. And then she smiles at me and says, thank you. And then she puts it in her purse and she doesn't say anything. That was it. Now, she wasn't awkward. It was like, I just thought, well, she's going to have to think about it. You know, there's like, you know, I, I laid it out there pretty good. And, you know, it was a weird night because I'm thinking, 
you know, is she rejecting me? It didn't feel like I was getting rejected, but it was weird. Like there was no response at all for this. And, you know, we, I walked her home. She lived on Coronado Island at the time down in San Diego. I walked her home. I drove home. I didn't know how to feel. It was very odd. I was pretty confident that this is the person that God wanted in my life, but you know, sometimes we're that confident all the time. And uh, so a couple of days later, we go to some movies with the friend and I, I hold her hand during the movie, you know, the whole time. And uh, I thought, okay, she's putting up with that. So things must be okay. So we went back to her place and uh, I asked her you know, about the card and she said, I couldn't read it. She said, I couldn't read your handwriting. I had to take it home and I had to examine it for a while after you left to figure out what you said. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that thought actually had crossed my mind. It's like, and I thought that I had worked hard to, to be slow writing it out because I know that my handwriting is bad. But uh, somewhere I think she still has that thing. It should, uh, you know, I'll have to find it maybe uh, uh, somewhere. But that was a weird three days, I'll tell you that, waiting, waiting for that. So uh, at the end of a show, I have to write a recap of what we talk about. Right. So I have chosen to use cursive font for today's. You should use right, the cursive font for all of that. See, that's the thing that we thought was coming, right, is you're going to have a cursive font, so why know it? Uh, I, what I like about this, what I like about this is that we seem to live in a time when we don't want to go back, when we have an education system that says this doesn't work, so we're not going to teach it anymore. The kids aren't going to need it. What's the point? And so we got rid of it. And now we're bringing it back. There is some kind of taking responsibility in all of that, right? There is something that is, I think, really hard to do in any sort of system, and especially, I think, in the school system, right? There, when we're looking at our education system and the numbers are bad, it just, there's certain people who do quite well. You know, most kids are able to read, but a lot are not. Right, huge numbers of people not able to read, huge numbers of people not able to do regular math. There's a lot of problems, right? At some point, you've got to acknowledge it's not working. And at some point, you've got to acknowledge that maybe the way we used to do it might have been a little bit better. You know, maybe we were better off when the mathematicians didn't use a calculator in school. We were not allowed to use a calculator in my era. You know why? And this is what they said. They said, you're not always going to have a calculator with you. Well, obviously, that turned out not to be true. I, in the eighth grade, I got a calculator watch. It's like an amazing nerd boy watch, but I got that. And that was like the beginning of uh, refuting that whole thing. But I think what's happened is my kids were allowed to have calculator to a certain degree. And I'm going, I don't think you're learning. Your brain isn't learning. And I think that there is also something that has been shown here. And this is one of the reasons that if you actually write down what you're going to say, and you write in cursive, you learn better. That some people's learning style is just that, hey, if I copy it and I write it down, I'm actually going to learn better than if I type it. I don't know if I'm one way or the other with that, because uh, I type everything now. Now I even speak to it. You can just talk to the computer. I don't even need to type. Maybe that's the, that's the wrong way we could have gone, is that we don't teach cursive. We don't teach anything. We don't even teach you to type. You just talk to the machine, and it uh, writes it out for you. Um, but a lot of people are learning, learn better because they write, they pay attention better. They learn how to spell better. And those things matter in real life. If you are somebody who doesn't think those things matter, that you think, oh, I got spell checker and I've got, it's, you're wrong about that. As somebody who has read resumes where there are terrible spelling errors, 
you might be really good at your job. You're not getting hired if that is the case with your resume. It's shocking how bad some of the documents that I've gotten from people who just never learned to write, never learned to spell, all of those kinds of things. You know, it is, uh, you got to learn how to write your name. You got to learn how to write your name and do your signature, which I think is especially cool if you've got, you know, like a cool name. Like I know somebody, her name is Kyria, I think is how she says her name. And does that sound right, uh, how you say her name? How does she spell her? I bet she has a really cool signature, right? There's there's five letters and three vowels and two I's in that. Kyria, that's her name. And uh, she probably puts little happy faces or hearts above the eyes or something like that, right? You you learn some pretty cool things. And uh, when I cross, when I do my signature and I cross the T's and Scott at the end, the, the cross goes through the middle of the F in the signature. So it like all runs together. And then I do a little swoop underneath it so it looks like the Dodgers logo. And uh, I have fun with that. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. All right, this is the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation. And you can follow me on social media, the, the, the handle for us on social media. Is that what you even call it? It's an ID, a log on? It's at Pastor Scott Show on X and Instagram and uh, Facebook, at Pastor Scott Show. And so you can check that out. You can also watch us right now on uh, KKLA.com. KKLA.com. Just click on that. You can watch the live stream of the show. And you can always get the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for the Pastor Scott Show on your favorite podcast app. We will be back as the Tuesday edition of the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show, great to be with you today as we are each and every day from 3 to 5. We're talking about handwriting and how California is now requiring that cursive be taught to uh, elementary kids. And uh, that's a good thing. In fact, it's something that we have some unity on. Uh, it passed 79 to 0 in the California Assembly. I don't know that anything else passes like that. Uh, so that's good. Good news. 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. Bridget and Whittier, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi, how are you? I'm good, Bridget. How are you? I'm good, Pastor Scott. Thank you. Um, my thoughts, well, I go to the school board meetings in Whittier, California. Yeah. And um, my two granddaughters are there in school. The oldest one never learned handwriting, and I, I have spoken up about it. And the younger one is now learning it. And so it's very upsetting. A lot of my friends out here are patriots. We stand up and fight for various things. And one of my friends early on said she thought it had to do with the Constitution, so the kids could not understand the Constitution. And it was food for thought for me. <laughs> she thought it had to do, I don't understand what it would have to do with the Constitution. Um, well, like kids not understanding, if they're not exposed to handwriting and reading it, mm-hmm. they can't read the Constitution. Oh. And and it kind of made sense. My granddaughter could not make out letters because she didn't learn it. And she's eager to learn it, so I've had to teach her. Yeah, you know, the... Um Part of the argument that has been in favor of this, which people finally came around to seeing, is that the handwriting, it does help you learn how to read. And the studies also say, this is from the LA Times, it says the mechanics of handwriting follows a sequence initiated in the brain, just like reading. 
and the sound is heard and processed. A letter is attached and visualized, translated into a shape on the page, and produced with motor skills that reinforce direction of lines, all that kind of stuff, right? And the argument is that it it helps you with visual tracking. It helps you with reading right to left or left to right. It helps you with uh, punctuation and all of that. And uh, you see that difference in, uh, you say, your older daughter didn't learn, right? Yes, well, it makes sense, um, too, like what you were saying about the computers. When kids are on computers, you know, it's different. You know, it helps us remember what we write, what we print, what we put on paper. Yeah. It helps us, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, when you said that, it just, like, made more sense to me, you know. Sometimes we don't think about all these little things, how it affects us. Yeah, I think that it's a, it's a weird thing that got away from us in, a, in the culture. And the weird thing about the handwriting is it became political. Like the RLA Times article actually acknowledges that. It says that uh, the idea of cursive handwriting was something coming from the political right. And it became this weird right and left issue. I don't understand that. I have no idea why. Uh, that's the case. But um, anyway, I think it, it matters a lot for education. Thank you for sharing that, uh, Bridget. And uh, God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Pastor Scott Show. 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. I think it says something about how divided that we can get when whether or not to teach cursive in school becomes a issue of political division between right and left. The LA Times says the restoration of cursive, this argument, is primarily coming from the right. And so it was opposed. Uh, this is according to uh, Associate Professor of Education at USC. And promoting cursive was a jab at the Common Core math. Maybe that's the next one to go. Is that good out there? Uh, some of the things uh, my kids have had to do, I've had to try to figure that out. They kind of have a hybrid of the old stuff, I think, and the new stuff. But uh, when I was looking at some of what they had to do, I thought, well, I can do that in my head in five seconds. Why, why can't you? I could do that at your age. And uh, there's, I'm sure there's some plan to it. But for some reason, this is an area where parental involvement in the education system gets labeled as something from the right. I mean, obviously, we've got that going on. That kind of conversation is where we're the more serious issues today of the gender stuff and the stuff that's in the libraries and all of that. It's the pushback is to try to make it divisive between right and left. And one of the things, and in particular, this being a, a election year that I really hope people see is that when we're talking about our kids, when we're talking about education, when we're talking about what's the best way for education, don't let anybody make something right or left from the standpoint of a way to divide and not do what's best for the kids. And the issues where parents are coming to these school board meetings, they're not all on the right. They're not all Christian people. They're not all religious people. They are people who are saying, hey, these are my kids. And why is there pornography in the school library? And why are you going to hide something that they might be going through related to their gender identity? And you're not going to tell me about it as the parent? I'm still waiting for a parent to say to me, I would like the school to keep it a secret if my child is is struggling with this. Right? I'm still waiting for a parent to say, I would like the school to you know, call me and explain that. I would like the school to hide from me that my child, my son or daughter, might be experiencing uh, gender issues, which means they might be suicidal, that they might have uh, some mental illness, that they might have. Some, I would like the school to not tell me about that. 
In fact, I would like the school to deliberately instruct teachers to lie to me about that. See, I don't think, I don't think people, most people, particularly if you're a parent on the right or left, I don't think you believe that. I think you think you have a right to know. I think that you think that you ought to know. I think that you think that it, it should be uh, that you have to know. And those are the things that in, we'll talk about this in more detail in another time, but when we look at the election coming up and big stuff happening in the primary, your ballots come out in a couple of weeks, by the way, you know, there is one of the reasons I think we don't get things done is issues where I think most people agree. And I think actually most regular folk tend to agree or could easily come to agreement, even on some of the big issues, the border or guns or health care or taxes, or there's, I think we would do that. I think that when we push things into right and left, part of the reason for that is to divide and conquer. And so those people who do have an agenda, an agenda that is bad for our kids, they end up winning because you're told you're a bad person for having that view. And that's what was happening with cursive, which is the weirdest thing. You are a bad person. You had some kind of anti-education or anti-teacher bent because you thought kids ought to learn cursive handwriting. That's the reason it went away is it became a political thing. And we, the people, have to avoid that. We have to stop looking at things from the standpoint of what's right and what's left, and rather what's up and what's down. What is it that actually, practically speaking, helps children's brain develop for educational purposes? Because when you don't do that, and that's something that you see in a lot of these numbers here with the the school numbers and stuff is that some kids are being left behind and they're behind for life if they don't learn how to read well. They're behind for life if they can't spell. I told you about the resumes that I used to get. You know, being a pastor in Southern California, you want to go hire a youth director, you want to go hire someone on staff. Well, you get hundreds of resumes. I always found that. And I was in San Diego. I was a few minutes from the beach and, you know, it was very, you know, a a desirable place to live. You'd be surprised how many uh, people who live in Cleveland are called by God to move to the beach in San Diego. There's an awful lot of people. And you got to filter through all of that. Obviously, God's not calling all of those people. Now, I know a guy who left San Diego to go to, to Cleveland, and obviously he's called by God because why would you do that? It's like sin and Abraham. Um, but the other way around is complicated. And so I'd get tons of resumes, tons of them. And the number of them, especially over the years, that were just shockingly poor as far as how they're written, but people who had graduated, right? People even who went to seminary sometimes, it was pretty terrible. We are harming kids when we take education or we take certain things and we turn it into a left and right argument versus an up versus down argument versus a, hey, this is what clearly is better. And and cursive is one of those things. That is one of the things that shouldn't have been controversial. It's ludicrous that this was politically controversial. And yet it was. It is also something I think that is hopeful that we did get past it. All right. That it passed 79 to zero. Okay. So something that that a few years ago was considered to be a weird right wing talking point. Now everybody on the right and left agrees. No cursive should come back. And that's because the the research has proven that to be true, and the numbers are bad. They're going to get better, I think, because of this. I think that's a good thing. Can you keep that in mind as we, you know, we'll eventually talk about the election and some other stuff, but keep it in mind that there are some things that should not be right and left that I think because of the politics, because of smart, manipulative people in politics, 
they create right and left when there shouldn't be right and left. And maybe cursive is the thing that you remember to say, hey, you know what, maybe this shouldn't be right and left. Maybe, you know, there are really good answers to the big issues and even the small issues in our country, and we should demand those things of Democrats and Republicans and whoever is running for office. That's what I think. I think that that part of our problem is that we want to plant our flag in a side of something where there really is no side, where maybe there's a right or wrong or better or worse, but we want to plant somehow in left and right. We have to stop doing that and look at what's better. I think that we can do that. I think that most of us actually already know, and in our hearts, we agree. All right, this is the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557. All that's to say is, uh, you know, work on your cursive. Teach your kids to to learn cursive. It benefits them in so many ways. I'm, I'm so inspired now to go home and uh, try to get James and John to write better. James, my older son, he writes cursive pretty well. John, you know, if you're listening, John, uh, you know, you, you need to work on it. <laughs> just take your time. John's deal is that he just goes too fast. You know, he just wants to get done. And uh, I understand that. That's probably why my handwriting wasn't very good either. It's the same way. It says, ah, I just want to get out of here. But, uh, you know, write well. It says a lot about you. And take some time to personally write people notes if they can read it. A thank you note. Think of somebody today that you should write a thank you note to. And write one out. Don't let Hallmark do all of your words. Write something that comes from your heart that just thanks somebody for a gift or thanks somebody for being them or thanks somebody for being there or uh, just something like that and write it out, put your name on it and uh, sign your name to it. I think that you'll notice that it's received very well when you do that. All right, this is the Pastor Scott Show. You can follow me on social media at Pastor Scott Show, at Pastor Scott Show on X, Instagram and Facebook at Pastor Scott Show. We'll be right back as the Tuesday edition continues. Stay tuned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.